From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. His story has become classroom legend here at the University of St. Thomas. Zachary Quinn and his classmate Brian Keller started Love Your Melon as a project in their entrepreneurship class. The idea was simple. Make beanies, and for each one sold, they'd donate one to a child battling cancer. Within a year and a half, they'd given a beanie to every pediatric cancer patient in the U.S. All told, six years in, Love Your Melon has donated over 160,000 beanies and over $6.1 million to nonprofits and continues to grow. Zachary serves as president and chief visionary. His instinct for marketing and new methods of retail are largely credited with the company's explosive growth, and he's here today to tell us how he did it. Welcome back to campus, Zachary. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always great talking to you. You too. I always uh, come away very inspired. And I have to know before we dive in, is it weird to be on campus? Oh, it was nice. I think I got my old parking spot oh, good. when I pulled up here. Good. My communications class was right across the street from this. So it's very ironic. So you know this, the yes. Loris Hall, where, yes. we're, where we're at right now. So you were in the entrepreneurship program as an undergrad, or you were taking an entrepreneurship Correct. class? In my sophomore year at St. Thomas, I had just transferred back from the University of Denver. Okay. And I came back to Minnesota to where my family is and to where this community is, and my, I was destined to start something. So and, I, and I mean, you really were from, I mean, St. I Paul felt that, is. Though. I knew that I was coming back here to create something. I was tired of being a freshman in college at the University of Denver. We had a lot of fun there and had a great time and took some good classes, but I knew that I should come back to Minnesota to where my home was and where my family was. And I wanted to start something to make a difference. Your your parents, we should say, are they own a business as well, a very well-known business here in St. Paul. Yeah, they own a couple of restaurants right down the street that all these college kids go to and a bunch of other loyal supporters for the last 40 years now. So did you kind of grow up? What how, what was that like growing up? I grew up? up at my parents' restaurants, Cafe Latte and Bread and Chocolate. And Best. at all these fundraisers that they took me to and... I was definitely a lucky child. I had older brothers, but significantly older, so that my parents were really focused on me, and they took me along everywhere they went. So I'd fall asleep more so on restaurant booths <laughs> than I would in my own bed. Did you ever work at the restaurants? Yeah, I worked there for about six months. It didn't It didn't last very long. I was on to different things, and I'd always go back there, and I had all the friends that worked there, and it was a lot of fun. We Even in high school, I had this, like— idea that I really wanted to like go help and I felt a lot of purpose from being philanthropic and fulfillment from that and so my friends and I went back in the bakery at Cafe Latte and we took a bunch of leftover bread and peanut butter and strawberry jam and we made sandwiches and we'd load up the trunk of my car on the weekends and we'd go drive them around to the homeless people around town. Really? When, so the, when you were in high school? Yeah, that was in high school. Okay. So we're getting pretty far back. Wow. So that's kind of where that started with my mom, even like in lower school and stuff, we'd go to the kids cafe with Sue Zellickson uh -huh. and make dinner for the kids. And I always kind of had this feeling of how much I had to be grateful for and how I needed to do things for others to feel like I deserved it, like I was 
fulfilling my destiny. Yeah, that's impressive yeah. that you were thinking that way even as a, a young student. Yeah. So so there you are, sophomore year, you're taking entrepreneurship. It was pretty cool because I was coming back to start something, or at least so I thought I felt this purpose of coming back to Minnesota, and I was really excited about the entrepreneurship program at St. Thomas. Did you have any idea? That, I mean, did you have a business in mind, or you just wanted to No, we to had no of, idea, but yeah. I, was, I was excited to go into this entrepreneurship class, which I took very seriously to mean that I could go start a business that would be successful and and that's, in fact, what happened. Right. But, I mean, that, that doesn't happen for everybody. So the assignment is literally start a business. The assignment was to start a business. You, there were some criteria. You couldn't spend more than $700. And you had to come up with a business that would turn a profit by the end of the semester. So I met Brian on the second day of class, which is actually because I missed the first day. <laughs> I'd really just decided to transfer back like a week before school started. Okay. So I got all my books and... Moved around classes, dropped out of some, joined others, but I kept this entrepreneurship class. So I showed up on the second day. I met Brian in the hallway, and we are still business partners to this day. And you just Brian's hit it the off. CEO of the company now, and we work really well together. We balance each other out. How 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 so? Describe Brian. Brian's very together. project oriented, uh, super organized, and just goes after tasks to get them done. He's one of the hardest workers I know. And I'm more of a visionary creative. I like to draw things, make things, and and put together ideas. So we perfectly meshed together. He was a finance and accounting major. And so that was really cool, meeting him in that entrepreneurship class and coming together and saying, we can run a business together. Mm -hmm. So do you sit down and just start brainstorming, making a list of what kind of business you could start? Yeah, there are a bunch of ideas. I mean, we thought of any anything from shot glasses to water bottles to to and reinventing things to writing a children's book. I mean, the class around us too was doing the same thing, so we saw a lot of great ideas. But it all came down to this one really wonderful idea that started Love Your Melon. We saw a need for fashionable warm winter hats that people could purchase that weren't like a Minnesota Vikings hat or a John Deere tractor hat. <laughs> And this was six years ago, so there really wasn't a lot out there back then. Yeah, it has sort of exploded since yeah, then. Yeah, there's a lot more fashionable beanies out there now than yeah. there were back then. So you decide to make hats, and then are you thinking about the give back, the, the philanthropic piece of it right from the beginning? Yeah, so it was like this destiny that I felt to like go make a difference. And especially if we were starting what we didn't know yet to be successful or, or not, uh, we wanted to make an impact with it. We wanted that semester to mean something. And even if we could just turn a profit at the end of the semester wasn't enough for us. We wanted to give back somehow. We were going out to a lot of charity functions and philanthropic events and doing stuff at that time. And we were thinking about who we could help. And this idea for making these beanies was coming together and we were working on where to make them in the country. We wanted them made in the U.S., mm -hmm. which we'll get to. It's all about this circular mentality of supporting communities. But we wanted to make an impact with them. We wanted the hats or some sort of financial component to go to helping others in our community. So we thought a lot about giving money away or really we wanted to give away the hats. And it came to this one event that I was at, uh, the Cookie Cart mm. fundraiser, and with Suze Ellickson again. She mm -hmm. was a very prominent figure in Suze my life. Ellickson. It all comes yeah. back always to <laughs> Suze Ellickson. Prominent yeah. figure in the in the Minneapolis scene, food, food critic, and otherwise, yes, and right? Amazing. Um, so, so the idea of the the giving the one for one, sell one, give one. Yeah, we were there at this cookie card event, and we were talking about 
um, the local children's hospital and these contacts that she had and one of her friends that was doing the flowers for this event had, and they connected us to the children's hospital, the Masonic Children's Hospital. At that time, it was called the University of Minnesota Ann Platts Children's mm-hmm. Hospital, but now it's Masonic Children's Hospital. And I met Nick Engblom and Elizabeth Patty through them, and we sat down and talked to them about what the needs were for the kids in the hospital. And they said, well, people knit these hats for the kids, but they don't. They don't all look alike. They're not clean because they're handmade. Mm. And we don't rely on them for being consistent for the kids. Mm-hmm. And we'd love if somebody could, like, make us some cool hats that the kids would actually want to wear. Huh. We're like, well, we're making these fashionable hats for to sell to our consumers, and we'd love to be able to give some of them away. And I was reading Tom Shue's book, uh, Start Something That Matters, mm-hmm. by Blake Mykowski. And I loved the idea for a one-for-one because I knew that people would trust us, that they would understand if I'm buying a hat, then they're giving one away that's identical to it to a kid that needs one. Right. So there's no way of hiding from that. That's like true impact and authenticity, and I really believe in that. Do you also believe, I mean, from a business point of view, when you have that give back, does it sort of amplify your chances of success? Yeah, I think so. I think customers definitely uh, attributed the impact that they could make through buying a hat, purchasing from us. Right. So why they wanted to to purchase. Sure. They, they really felt like they were a part of it and that they could make an impact on their own. And they saw the direct impact. It's not like, oh, it was $5 from everyone was being given away. And it's hard to like understand what that means. Mm-hmm. But if what you're purchasing and what you get to wear and what keeps you warm when you're out in the Minnesota cold, you can think of that hat keeping a kid in the hospital, the cold hospital room, mm-hmm. warm as well, then you yeah. understand it. It that makes feels a good. lot of sense. You want to spend the money. Yeah. So you write up this business plan. What is your professor's reaction? We took a lot of other steps before we were writing up a business plan ever. I don't know if we ever really got to the point where we wrote up a business well, plan. Well, what about for your classroom project? We were kind you of, have to write a we paper? were like pretty much ignoring the rest of the class requirements. I see. Okay. We were getting by as much as possible without doing any of that and just focusing on running a business. And it's remarkable that we got out of there with an A minus. <laughs> an A minus. It was very nice that they offered us that because we really, I, I think we were good students in a lot of ways, but we were definitely more interested in doing real projects and things that could have an impact on others than on coming up with homework assignments and stuff. So I just remember you telling me or, or hearing that th- there was that first day that you went out. Didn't you go out on the street to, to yeah, try so to Yeah, so this was part these? of the problem because we weren't supposed to buy more than $700 worth of product. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was for the class requirement. And we went out and bought $3,500 worth of hats because that's what 400 hats in the U.S. cost to make. And we had found the manufacturers for it out in Portland, Oregon, and these local embroidery shops to make these patches and sew them on. And we needed to buy 400 because we wanted to sell 200. We wanted to give away 200. And our teachers were not happy because they thought we were going to lose all the money. Mm-hmm. They didn't think we could sell the 200 of them. Uh, but we did. We actually went out Thanksgiving weekend. We started in my parents' restaurant with a little pop-up table outside the restaurant, and we were talking to complete strangers, and we sold about 100 hats that day, and then we sold about 100 hats the next day. So within a, two days, we were sold out. Wow. To Some friends and family bought some, too, because it was a good 
thing. We didn't spend all the, our own money. We went to our friends and family and asked for $100 or $50 to buy the first hats on a loan. And then we paid them all back. But in fact, they became great customers as well. So the initial group of people that helped us buy all the hats, they in fact became customers. They purchased them. Uh, we paid them back. Um, and then we got to go buy more hats. But it was cool to see that it wasn't just our friends and family that were purchasing them to begin with, because mm -hmm. 200 was a lot. So to sell that many to complete strangers and hear that it was like a really cool idea, uh, that, was, that was awesome and very fulfilling. We had a lot of other fulfilling moments around that, too, where we knew something we were doing was important. Like what? Like we saw, we just started in the first night we had really set on the idea. We put up a Facebook page for it. And other groups in the class had done so as well. But when we saw how many likes we got, I think we got like 400 likes in the first night on our Facebook page. And back then, that was a big deal mm -hmm. to get that many. Um, our, our cohorts, our peers in that class got way less. And so we thought that was very well, how did that happen? I mean, was that because you had a big Facebook following and you told your no, friends to like it? I mean, how did it explode? By no means. We just had whatever was normal back then. You'd have Facebook friends that you went with to high school or college. And I mean, we were fairly friendly people. We had a <laughs> lot of good friends. But but I don't think it was anything that they were doing just for us. I think they really liked the idea. Mm -hmm. They loved the concept and it was it. very easy to understand. It's like you buy a hat and then one goes to this kid in a hospital to keep them warm. Right. Were you there to deliver the, to make that first delivery of hats? Yeah, that was amazing. So that was a week after then, a couple weeks after we went into the children's hospital to go give away the other 200 that we could give away now. Mm -hmm. And that was a remarkable experience. And we went in with the Minnesota Vikings players oh. kind of by accident. And so we got to see how much more the kids liked meeting the Vikings players than us <laughs> in, like, the first moment that we went in there. You just sort of snuck in behind the players yeah. and said, here's a hat? Well, the players, <laughs> we were like, oh, hey, you guys give these hats out. And then we saw how big of an impact that could have. So that launched all of these programs that we do to get these other influencers and musicians and artists in to go create these experiences for the kids. Because mm -hmm. then the kids really, like, appreciate where the hat came from and that story that they can tell. right. Right. But we knew we had to keep up somehow. So we introduced superhero costumes. And then the kids loved meeting us, possibly even more than the Vikings players. If we were Batman and Superman, then then we could keep up and be pretty entertaining as well. Superheroes are always a win. Yes. So, okay, you have this initial success. You know you're on to something here. Do you what do you do next? How do you how do you make this a, a real business and really set yourselves up for something beyond one weekend or one classroom project? Well, I dropped out of college. That was <laughs> okay. my first Don't step. try this at home, kids, yeah. right? <laughs> okay. So, I dropped out of college. You were uh, that sure? Yeah, right then. Yeah, we Sold the first 200, went and gave away the next 200 a couple weeks later, and then we we're like, all right, this worked out really well. Let's go buy more. So we went back to the same people that loaned us the first 50 or or $100 each. It was a big group, and it got a little bit smaller because we asked for more money now. We wanted a couple thousand from each of them, and we went back and then bought a bunch more hats and started selling them. And that went on. That's pretty much what's gone on for the past six years. Well, Except now we get money from banks to purchase and we pay them back. <laughs> right. We still haven't gotten any investors. 
No investors. No, no outside Done investors. It all on our own. That's pretty amazing. So, what were some of the key steps, especially considering that you sort of went for this full throttle from the beginning? How did you know how to make a business? How did you know how to set yourselves up to grow? It all seemed pretty simple. Like we could just figure it out by actually doing it. And that's really what the case has been. We're very cautious, risk adverse. We have insurance, we have accounting and audits, and we do everything that we need to do to check all the boxes. But there's a lot of talented people out there that we can work with and, and learn from, and we've we've taught ourselves throughout the way. So even though I didn't graduate from school, I feel like I sure got a lot from the connections here that I went to school with at St. Thomas and the University of Denver and, and even through high school. And Your parents? And what did your parents, parents think? My parents' friends and Suze Ellickson <laughs> and you. You've been very helpful <laughs> as well. But what, what did your parents think when you said, okay, I had this success, I have this idea, I want to do this business full time. They were go very supportive because they were entrepreneurs too. And, mm-hmm. and they just knew that I mean, there's only so much you can learn in school and you can teach yourself the rest. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, all right, go for it. I told them it was a gap year to start with. And that's kind of how I thought of it. It just turned into a longer gap. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you, did you start hiring people right away? Did you set up an office? Like what were some of those like key small milestones? we went for it. St. Thomas gave us a small office on the Minneapolis campus. Even though I wasn't in school there, Brian was uh-huh. uh, still in school. and Brian actually graduated? Yeah, he did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. One of us. Good did. to have one. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But we went and set up this little office on the Minneapolis campus. That was number two office. The first office was my uh, apartment in college. Mm-hmm. So I think we're on eight now. This is number eight for us, which is a good number. Number eight office? Our offices oh, in the wow. last six years this is our eighth one that we're in now. Okay. But yeah, we set up this little office that was finally outside of my apartment, and uh, we had it was so tiny; it was smaller than this room. Mm-hmm. And there were two desks in there, and we had a bunch of uh, whiteboards or uh, pieces of paper on the wall that we'd tacked up, and we were creating all these beautiful things and working on guerrilla-style marketing events and whatever we could put on to garner attention from the media or or whoever else that would pay attention to us. And then we had a bunch of inventory. I think we had a storage locker at that point because we were purchasing more and more hats. We needed places to keep it because we'd go do our own little events. We'd set up at golf courses for charity events or we'd set up outside of restaurants, wherever we could find to like see people. But you also built a website. Yeah, we were right? building a website too. We were selling online as well. Uh, wh- and that was you- cool actually. We sold some of our hats online even for the class project. We wanted to check all the boxes because we had a presentation at the end, mm-hmm. uh, and we did well during that presentation. That's how you got that A minus. Yeah, I think that's where that A minus yeah. came from because <laughs> we told our whole story of what we'd done, and we really wanted to be able to say, "Yeah, we were smart enough to be able to put together a website." And we. But were you set not thinking up. that that was really kind of the big opportunity? Were you oh, thinking it, it was more of those pop up events? We were selling a lot during the pop up events. Yeah, it really wasn't until media coverage came along that the website would blow up. Okay. Was and there then, a key article or moment yeah, in the press? Yeah, it was about a year after when we went on tour uh-huh. with this big tour bus that we got. And we uh, we went on the Good Morning America show and the Today show. And how did that? How did you make that happen? Uh, Lola Red PR, which you was hired a publicists. really cool 
PR company here locally. Mm -hmm. No, they gave us an intern of theirs Ah. to kind of help out. It was like a pro bono case, and they they wanted to see us be successful. And so Keegan Shouts, he was really helpful and had a bunch of friends that he went to school with. He was just out of college, too, Uh maybe a little older than us. But he connected us with a bunch of people and got us on those shows and what, did you coverage. did you see that as a means to an end or I mean you know because a lot of people ask that, like how do you get attention how yeah, do those you break were the through really, really the most exciting points for us at that time that I remember is when we got that coverage and the website would crash but we'd still sell out of however many couple thousand units we had at the point that we were at then mm-hmm. those were really big moments for us that I felt like Oh, we're doing something right. Yeah. The other thing that you did that seems just so smart and inspired was setting up all of your the college ambassadors. Yeah. How so did you get that idea? With, and that's the same thing I'm talking about with the media coverage that we got. It was all surrounding this tour that we did. I went and bought this old hockey bus uh, from down south in Minnesota out by Rochester. Uh, and they had this like old hockey bus from out east and it was grubby. We had to rip out all the seats. And, you know, I remember that was a funny thing. The seats we took out and we gave back to the guy that we bought the bus from. And I guess the seats, when we looked back like a couple months later, were the most valuable part of the bus that we Ooh. bought. <laughs> we should have kept those. They, we should have been able to sell Shoot. those for what we paid for the bus. But uh, thank goodness you it kept didn't matter. Those, they were gross. Like we had to get them out. <laughs> and we needed bunk beds so we could go on tour and like sleep on this bus. So we did everything we needed to to get it designated as an RV. And then we decked out this bus with bunk beds and some sofas and stuff so we could drive around with us and our videographers and and then we got all these superhero costumes together and we put them on and we drove around the country and the first tour was 30 days and we went out east to new york and then down south and then came back up so it was like the whole east side of the country and midwest and you would just show up on tour. on college campuses we'd show up on college campuses with all our superheroes. superhero costumes uh-huh. and our big bus and it looked cool <laughs> Because 3M wrapped it, and we had a bunch of sponsors for the tour. It was really sweet. Mm-hmm. As we'd show up on these campus, campuses, college campuses, to be able to sell these hats, and we'd sell them to the college students. And then we'd take these extra superhero costumes, and we'd round up whoever we could that had bought hats or seemed to like our idea. And we said, hey, come with us to the local children's hospital, and we'll give away these hats there to the kids. And people did it. And they did it, and they had remarkable experiences, and they got to connect with these kids. And it was an amazing 30 days of tour. And we got home after the tour with all this media coverage. We'd sold out of all of our hats and stuff, and we were making more. But but we needed to give away a bunch, and these college kids called us up, and they said, hey, like we want to keep giving away these hats to the kids in the hospital. Like, Can you send us more? They need more. And so we were selling them online, and we were able to send a bunch of beanies out to all these college students, and that started our ambassador program all around that authentic impact that they could have in making a difference themselves. Could a company run by people who were not college students or no, recent college students hard. have done this? No, it was all about our network of friends and supporters and this authentic movement of support that was generated by us doing real things and connecting with real people. And we we fit this, like, we fit this, like, perfect place in life that 
could yeah, do that. Right. Do, were you certain when you set out on the tour that it was going to be a success? I mean, were you yeah, that sure? Yeah, I thought sure? it was crazy enough that everybody had to be paying attention to it because mm-hmm. it was. I mean, even our bus driver left halfway through it. And we ended up driving the bus ourselves. <laughs> and so in this big 40-foot long coach and like, no, yeah, we were kind of nuts. Uh-huh. And so that was an important part of it is like really being willing to like do whatever we needed to do to go want, like have the impact that we wanted to have. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So at, at what point did you start thinking beyond beanies? I mean, was it was it when you hit when you had given one to like every single cancer patient in the United States within a year or like what what was the what was the turning point where you're like, OK, time to yeah, start looking at the next the level? Tour. It was a year and a half after we'd started and we'd sold enough hats to give one to every kid battling cancer in America, which mm-hmm. was forty five thousand. And. Even along that time, though, we'd made other things than beanies. We'd made baseball caps and T-shirts and long sleeves. But every time one of those sold, we'd give a beanie away. And it was a really cool experience. Mm -hmm. To be able, after a year and a half, to hit that goal we had from the very beginning, which was to give one to every kid battling cancer in America, was amazing. And while you're out there and you're dressing up as a superhero and doing all of that, did you have designers working on kind of the next wave of products? No, we were doing all of that. You were doing that, too. Really, the, the team was limited to Brian and I. And whatever photo videographers or interns or supporters we could get mm-hmm. while we were on tour and until thereafter, when we were back from tour and that kind of it all settled down, then we had like some friends that stuck around late at night and would help us ship out hats that we were selling online. But it wasn't until probably year two, three, maybe two and a half that we hired like an actual employee. Okay. And you have how many employees now? We have over 30. It's really a remarkable team now. And so I just got out of a product meeting right before this, and we're working on all the different styles of products coming out. And it's remarkable to see what we can accomplish together with that many talented people. Yeah. They're creating some beautiful things that go far beyond what we ever dreamed of doing at the beginning of this. So what do you and Brian spend your time on now? Well, Brian's the CEO, so he's running day-to-day operations, all of our revenue generation, all of our website stuff, um, working with our custom and wholesale teams that are selling through different sales channels. And then I'm doing a lot of work with products still and our fulfillment management with our COO, Charlie Carlisle, who's actually another friend from college at the University of Denver that came up to work with me. It's really cool. So we're working on... Brian's doing more day-to-day operations, and I'm doing more problem-solving of big issues that come up and working on projects for new product lines and fulfillment necessities that we get the products to customers on time and things like that. Sure. So somewhere along the way, you switched the model from buy one, give one to donating half of your profits. Yeah, that was a year and a half in. We we realized that we'd sold a hat for Mm -hmm. every kid battling cancer in the country to get one. We're like, all right, well, if we've given away a hat to every kid battling cancer in the country now, what do we do next? Like, what is as impactful as, like, this is? Because we didn't want to go give away another 10 to every kid battling cancer in the country. Sure. That sure. didn't seem impactful enough. 
So what are the, from a business standpoint, and I think as more and more businesses today, and and tell me if you're noticing this too, it seems like it's becoming more common to be a mission-driven business. And I think more people are just thinking that way from the get-go. It should be a part of every business out there. And it's not that your philanthropy has to be to help kids battling cancer like ours is, but maybe you're helping the environment, you're doing something important. Mm Mm-hmm. That should be a part of every business, whether you're like even in my parents' business, I think they've done that forever. They're they're providing good food to people and they're uh, and they're making people happy. Right. They've also done a lot of stuff where they've like provided food for the homeless. And I think that's taking it a step further. And not sure that's as necessary for every business to be a part in is direct philanthropy. But every business should be making people's lives better somehow, supporting communities. And that's what has been what Love Your Melon's about in more ways than one. So we help kids battling cancer by, to start, we were giving them beanies. And then after giving a beanie away to every kid battling cancer in America, we wanted to do something even more impactful. So we switched the model to giving 50% of our profit. And in in that way, it meant to us, we were going to go fight pediatric cancer at its source. Mm -hmm. We were still going to give away a beanie to every kid battling cancer that wanted, needed one or wanted one. But we were also going to fight cancer. And the terrible things it causes for these kids, even if they survive it for years to come, and financial stresses for the families. So in addition to 160,000 beanies now that we've given away to every kid that we meet, Mm because there's new diagnoses every year. So over the past six years, we've given 160,000 beanies, but also $6.1 million to research. So did you have to set up a foundation? It see like what are the complexities? You're a for-profit company, right? You're not a yeah. you're not a nonprofit. You're giving away half your profits. Did you have lawyers and managers say don't Tons do it? Oh no. That's hard. No, no, they were cool with it. <laughs> they knew it was a part of us and like okay. they weren't gonna convince us otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and for me it felt like this really important decision to make the future of Love Your Melon always be tied in with the charitable impact that we wanted to have. But in addition to, I want to back this up really quick, because in addition to providing these beatings to the kids and fighting uh, pediatric cancer through research and family support and financial support, uh, we also support U.S. jobs in manufacturing, and we provide customers with great quality products. Mm-hmm. So it's a circular mentality of how we support the community sure. in jobs, in high-quality goods to customers, and then helping these families that need it most. And I think there's a lot of businesses that at least take one of those parts mm-hmm. and support them somehow, and maybe even two of those. So it's either like you've got the like maybe a cause that you set out to make an impact on, you're providing jobs to people in a community and you're providing consumers with things that make their lives better. If you can hit one or maybe two of those, you're a really important business. And now a lot of other great businesses are doing all three like we're trying to do. We're really trying to impact communities in a in a holistic way. Right. You you went in a very short time from being a a, a, a student in a in a hockey bus to to running a multi million dollar company with employees and and all sorts of complexities. How, did did you feel prepared for that, or was it just gradual enough that you just kind of grew into it? Yeah, I felt prepared. It, it was gradual in the way that like it wasn't happening all at once. It was it was 
happening where we were looking at the next month out, what we needed to do to get to that point, and then getting there and figuring out what was next. Like, oh, we got to go get a tour bus ready in the next month to go on this massive tour and find all these videographers to come with us and hit up all these hospitals and college campuses to to get to go give away these hats there and, and sell hats. And so we had those goals, and we somehow accomplished them, and then we set our new goals for the next month or three months out. We never looked too far mm-hmm. in the future. I never thought, like, oh, I can run a $30, $40 million company in the next five years when I was in that college project, and that's where we got to last right. year. How do you sell that many beanies? It's a lot of beanies. It's, it's over 750,000 beanies we're selling a year, wow. which is pretty remarkable, and we're we're doing that through different sales channels, a lot through e-commerce, but now it's growing into wholesale and custom and a lot of corporate partnerships and cool what stuff. What do you make of it? I mean, really, if you take a step back and you remove yourself from I mean, like, that's a lot of beanies. Yeah, what, it's what? a lot, but there's a lot of heads out there. Is it, Hopefully but is we it, can cover more of them in the future. Is it just, do you think it's, is it your story? Is it that, that you've connected with young people or you know, the college campus thing? What what do you think the, the real secret sauce is? I think it's authenticity. People see us as like doing what we set out to do, what we said we were going to do, mm-hmm. and really fulfilling that impact that we wanted to have. Plus, people trust us now that we're creating high-quality goods, that they see the products that we create. They're innovative. They're cool. I mean, we're coming out with lots of different lines now, from anywhere from a beanie that's made of recycled plastic water bottles to one that's made entirely of cashmere from Italy. I mean, they're really unique products. You've got 3M materials woven into our beanies that are reflective at night, so when you're running, you can be wearing that beanie, and the car headlights will be bouncing off so people can see you. It's that's really, public really cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we're <laughs> just trying to like provide. That's the customer uh, experience part of that mentality of like providing good things to those that are supporting you. Right. And I think that's where we're generating a lot of traction. And then we're trying to get in front of as many people as we can. And through social media advertising and a lot of other more traditional methods, we're contacting new customers and potential ones and showing them what we do. What's your social media following at right now? Is is Facebook still the biggest platform Facebook's, or yeah, Instagram? Facebook's huge, but it's not converting as much as Instagram is. Really? Uh, it is in the sense that like uh, customers on there are purchasing. They're more likely to purchase through Facebook. There's a lot of people spending time on their desktop computers still on Facebook, and mm-hmm. they're more likely to purchase. Instagram, though, is converting... Um, more engaged followers overall without advertising even on Instagram we've got a lot more engagement and people are really like more loyal to us on Instagram than they are on Facebook now Facebook numbers you'll have like a million plus followers and you're not seeing like anybody even engage on a post anymore unless you boost it Hmm. so it's changing a lot those are the algorithms trying to respond to it as quickly as possible and like learn what is next and that really that's where Brian's strong suit is is in that what do you think is next are you looking beyond Instagram no I I did invest in snapchat personally like a couple weeks ago because I think they're on the precipice of really figuring out their conversion rates Brian might disagree with me on this (laughs) but like and I think we're gonna start seeing more 
energy towards different platforms other than Facebook and Instagram. I don't think Snapchat by any means is the answer because people use it f- still for so many personal uses and not they don't really engage with brands there. Mm-hmm. But I think they're figuring it out. I think other platforms will continue to figure it out. I think we might see more traditional marketing methods uh, work better than social media methods going forward. The problem is you've got such a saturated market, especially on Facebook, where it's starting to cost so much more money to advertise there because Facebook knows it and they want to, they have a fiduciary responsibility to turn profits for their shareholders and they have to Mm -hmm. up those prices if they've got the demand for it. So is that why you wanted to open a brick and mortar store? Yeah, that was an exciting experience. Yeah, I mean, so so what? Five years in, last uh, last fall, last holiday season, you opened your first Love Your Melon store, but it's not a store; it's a studio. Well, you're going to be excited about this here. Actually, I was I was waiting to tell you oh, because good. now you can hear for the first time. Okay, is we will be opening it as a more regular store next year. Oh, interesting. And what I always wanted to do with opening this flagship retail location for Love Your Melon was to be able to have a space to tell our story that's been entirely online to this point Mm -hmm. in a physical environment, to be able to show people what we're doing and and create real experiences there that are as unique as they've seen through media coverage, through our video and content that we do online in a physical environment. Why was that important to you and to to people your age and to Love Your Melon's core customers? Because I thought it would ground us, that it would really create an environment where people could see as a home for Love Your Melon mm-hmm. and one that wasn't so um, transient, mm-hmm. one that wasn't just online that could be shut down with a crashing website. I wanted a physical space that was going to be there for people, and that's what it's been. We've opened it multiple times a month for the past six months now. So you, well, let's just back up. For you, these you opened, Right, you opened with this concept that it was not going to have just regular store hours from 10 to 9 or whatever. It was going to be open for special events. It was that's, be an yeah, and that's because I never wanted it to detract from what we were doing online. Mm-hmm. I never wanted an empty storefront that would make people perceive us to not be so busy as we really were because we can't compete with our website. Our store will never be able to compete in that way. Do you think more retailers should be thinking about uh, the store experience that way? I, yeah, I think so. I think you always have to have new, fresh stuff and to be telling a story every time you're open. So that's still going to be the case, even though we'll be open more frequently. Mm-hmm. We'll have more regular hours because I think that's important, too. I want to be there for consumers that aren't just going to come to one of our crazy events where you have to stand in line down the street. That's actually happening. People are standing <laughs> yeah. in line. Whenever we do one of these openings, whether it's for the new plastic water bottle products or the cashmere beanies or our reflective material, it's all different. And every time people want to come see what we've done with the space, mm-hmm. our uh, Christmas in the studio is really successful. We had Santa Claus there and a line down the street every day to go in Santa Claus like his little like castle and then go in the snow globe and and check it out in the studio we had like really cool products that were coming out of there every month and so people were lining up and we're giving them hot chocolate and doing fun things while they're there and having music and stuff so it's a really cool experience and i want to extend that beyond where we've just been doing it like a couple times a month do you see love your melon stores in every major city 
Now, I see these like studio experiences in other cities, like Chicago and New York and Boston would mm-hmm. be next for us, where we have big markets of people that are interested in what we're doing and excited about what we're doing. And you can see but from they have your to online... be these different concepts. Like we would want a space like that in New York City to also function as a uh, photo lab. And that's what the studio is for us. It's not just a retail space. It's somewhere we, we can congregate our people, create new content, work on things, use it as a showroom for our partnerships with other nonprofits or uh, corporate clients that are doing custom projects with us. And is that happening? Are yeah. other companies coming in and using it as it's a... Really, it's really cool and creative in that way. They're using it for uh, some of their own stuff, like Cambria, who was a partner on building the space out, brings in their designers. It's cool to see that. To do, to do what? To show them the space, to use it. Um, we just had J.P. Morgan Chase in there last week, who's our largest banking partner right now, that uh, was there filming and and creating their own content there and some of our people are involved in that and we always just ask that as long as you incorporate Love Your Melon into the story then then it's a useful place for these partnerships. Mm-hmm. We had about uh, a couple weeks ago now, almost a month, we had a prom for a little girl named Natalia in the space. That was really cool and remarkable to, to be able to provide that for her. She She's not doing so well. She doesn't have much time left. And she couldn't make it to her own prom. And so Aww. it was really important for us to be able to host that for her. That's amazing. Yeah. So what does retail look like? What does Love Your Melon look like in five years? Can you think that far out? More crazy stuff is going to be happening, I'm sure. It's whenever we can like spend the time to come up with new ideas and to go after big goals that aren't too far out. Usually they're within like a month to three months or six months of the most out that we're planning. Mm-hmm. But whenever Brian and I or the rest of the team at large can like sit down and come up with the next crazy idea, like right now, one I want to work on is uh, to be able to uh, do like a online streaming gaming competition out of our studio space where we could get a bunch of like gamers to come do a challenge with kids battling cancer in these like pods and like uh, do a streaming event where like they could raise a bunch of money for charity. Oh, wow. If you get ninja, man, my No, yeah, and I think when my we've kids done will be the research on, on the door it, to get in there. Yeah, we don't we don't think they've uh, done anything like this before. Uh-huh. There's been some that have raised money for charities but not like with the kids and these kids when we meet them in the hospital, it's all they're talking about now. Mm-hmm. They love gaming and streaming cuz what else can you do from a hospital bed? So we think that's going to be really cool. We also want to do this like a, a concert series once a month where we'll open the studio up to our musicians that we partner with, that we bring into the children's hospitals and partner with a radio partner that can broadcast it and give away tickets to be able to come to the concert shows. Because we've got great friends like Jesse McCartney and Rebecca Black and Sean Johnson and Andrew East and really talented people that... Tori Kelly that are great musicians that have gone into the children's hospitals with us and to be able to give them something back for the work that they've done would be really cool and it would be great to partner up like that. Sounds like a lot of fun. I know that that idea is from New Belgium does that with The Current and I thought it was really cool. I think for our demographic we can do that too because nobody's really providing that. So I think that's how the studio will Go, going forward will exist here and in other cities is to provide these unique experiences 
a physical environment that ties in with these releases and experiences and content that we do online. And then our online business will hopefully just continue growing along with our wholesale channels and corporate uh, partnerships. And all of that, all those experiences, all that goodwill, that all ties back to people actually wanting to make a purchase. Is that right. what you find? Yes. Okay. Um, so let's just say you were invited back to the classroom. Oh, as in, does the studio convert to sales? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's where all our content come f- comes from. It's just the same way when we did that tour, because mm-hmm. we were generating all this content, this storytelling, enough reason for people to pay attention, and then they want to purchase products too. And now they get to purchase a wide variety of products beyond just the beanies. Our team is creating all these remarkable, cool new things like outerwear items like jackets and new sweaters and really large collections of of things for people to wear. And still they're made in the U.S. and they're high-quality goods. Super cool. Okay, so last question. Let's say you're invited back to to the classroom, back to the Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship class. You've got some wide-eyed students there. They're like you. They want to be a big success. What advice would you give them today? Stay organized because you talked earlier about all of these, like, talented people we have to work with, lawyers and accountants, and they're all there to help you. Even though that it might seem like a pain in the butt that you got to go – fill out this paperwork or do this kind of reporting or things. When we've stayed organized, like throughout this last six-year adventure, it's been the most important thing that we did. Uh, It's what you need to do to run a business. And I think it all starts with your physical environment, wherever you're working, whatever you're using as your space, whether it's a library cubicle or it's your apartment or it's an actual office that you might get someday. Mm -hmm. If you keep it organized there... And then you keep your paperwork and everything virtual organized, then that's going to lead to success. Okay. Keep it organized. It sounds so simple. Well, it all starts small. And then (laughs) it has big impacts on other things. And so it's really important that we had that all along the way, that we checked every box and that we made sure that we controlled our risk and made sure that we were doing things right. Right. And then go get creative and create some beautiful things that people are going to want to purchase and and have fun. And have fun. You're having fun. Yeah. Zachary Quinn, thank you so much for joining us today on By All Means. Stick around. We're going to go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas right after this. And now, back to the classroom with our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. So how do you set yourself up for an A in entrepreneurship? Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Associate Professor Jay Eben was Zachary Quinn and Brian Keller's entrepreneurship professor. Of course, not every classroom project turns into a love your melon. So how do you encourage students to dream big and also set themselves up for real success? Great question. And I'll, I'll use Zach and Brian as an example. In the class they took with me, their project was to start a business, and the business that they originally pitched was selling shot glasses. <laughs> and they, you could tell they were just not excited about it at all. And, uh, and so I pushed them on a little bit, and they, they sat down with me one day and said, you know, we, we want to do something that we can get a little more excited about and that we can be more proud of and, and something that's a little bit bigger than this semester. Uh, and they said, 
you know, we've got this idea for uh, buy one, give one beanies for children with cancer. And we're going to call it Love Your Melon. And and you could see in their eyes and, and hear in their voice. It was just totally different. It was just something that they were really jazzed about. And, and something that we uh, something that we pitch in our program is this idea of values-based entrepreneurship. And so we really push students to uh, to build their career or build a business around their own values and and really uh, build off their their own sense of purpose and mission. And I think that was really that was there with with Brian and Zach, and it's a great example of it. It also could be a little intimidating for people coming into your classroom. I have to think because if you're if you're assuming that yours is going to be the next love your melon, I'm guessing that doesn't happen every semester. No, it doesn't. But um, but the idea is just, is just to start small, and um, we really try to instill in our students a, a sense of uh, experimentation and exploration, and and through that. Students are uh, students are able to identify what their values are. They're able to uh, build some uh, some confidence and some connections. Um, and we don't expect that any of these businesses are going to become Love Your Melon. Um, but but actually, a lot of them do but, here at St. Thomas. Yeah, but but it it sort of it leads to the next thing, mm-hmm. right? And so, allowing students to explore in kind of a safe environment and and experiment a little bit. Um, you know, it gives them the the confidence that they can execute on something that's outside their comfort zone. That there's not a, a step by step recipe for completing, um, and uh, and they can use that to either to continue or to or to, to build the next opportunity. So before I let you go, I know the Love Your Melon guys got an A minus. They did. What would they have needed to do to get a, just a straight up A? It's it's funny and and we've laughed about it after the fact. Uh, I honestly don't remember why they got an A minus and not an A. I think you know, we had other assignments in the class. Um, Probably didn't show up for those. It wasn't I'm just <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just the project. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think I got my share of grief from Zach and Brian about about their A minus. Had nothing had nothing to do with their project. I guess not. Well, Professor Evan, thank you so much. And thanks to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more information about this episode and others at tcbmag.com slash by all means. On our next episode, we talk to Aaron Newkirk, founder of Red Stamp and builder of brands with intention. I'm Allison Kaplan, and on behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Thanks to Brad Jacobson, John Sullivan, and Tom Forlitti from St. Thomas, as well as Sam Schaust and Ricky Hannigan from Twin Cities Business for helping to produce and engineer our show. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Thanks also to Senior Media Relations Manager Vanita Sakar and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship Laura Dunham for helping us to make this happen. Hope you enjoyed. By all means.